Welcome to the Connected Communication Podcast, the show which explores how much of communication is nature and how much is nurture, sharing speaking secrets along the way. I'm your host, Christine Milani. We met when you were wearing a pair of shoe umbrellas in the middle of the Camino de Santiago in Spain last year and connected thereafter about our conversation on shoe umbrellas in a storm. Uh, Maybe you'd like to describe what shoe umbrellas are to kick us off today. Welcome, Tony, to the podcast. Uh, Thank you for having me, Christine. Yes, I remember that day very fondly. Uh, We were getting ready to have a big storm, at least you thought so. I said, no, it's not going to rain at all. Uh, and I was sitting uh, at the bar getting ready. I think we're almost to uh, start walking to Fons Badan. And uh, it was cloudy. And I just, oh, that's just the clouds. And the rain's way over there. But you were right. Uh, my shoe umbrellas are what uh, you noticed on my shoes. I had a pair of what we call in the United States gaiters. Um, but I really prefer shoe umbrellas much more <laughs> than gators. So that's what I call them now. Um, but uh, you s- saw those and we were arguing about it, possibility of raining. And you said, yo, you're from Ireland and uh, you know rain. I go, OK, well, I don't think it's going to. Well, I lost that particular bet uh, <laughs> as we walked to uh, Fonsa Badan in the rain, not just rain, but thunderstorm. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was quite... Um, interesting. Uh, my shoe umbrellas helped a little bit on my shoes, didn't help anywhere else because I got soaked as, uh, you know, least underneath my poncho. I was from the warm weather that we had that day, uh, you know, and the nice hike up that mountain, uh, got a little sweaty underneath the poncho, but uh, it was, it was good. But yeah, the shoe umbrellas, that was where we really started meeting and talking. I think I'd seen you several times before, but we finally uh, connected there with that. And uh, like I said, it will be lifelong memory of a meeting at that point. So for sure. Yeah. I, you know, you walked up to Fonsebadon and I, I don't know if I would say I had the good sense or not, but I chose to stop in the 10 at the bottom of the mountain and the name escapes me now today. I should have checked it before we started, but I, I questioned myself, will I go up? Will I not? Cause if I don't go up, I'm going to miss everybody being up there. But I honestly couldn't keep going. There was so much rain, the thunder, the lightning. Yeah, I stayed where I was in a big stone room. The Camino, we both know, was a, a long stretch, a big walk, 790 kilometers across the northern Spain. For anyone who's listening who hasn't done it and doesn't know, what took you there? Well, that's a good question. Um, you know, I had been... I heard about the Camino the year or two, 2020, May of 2020. We had a gentleman, Jeff Davidson, came and spoke at a club that I was the uh, uh, vice president at the time of, now the president. But he came and talked about his Camino. He had walked the Camino Frances and uh, showed us a presentation of it. He had also walked the uh, Camino Portuguese, but uh, he concentrated on the Camino Frances. And I was walking at that. And at that time, uh, I had, uh, you know, the year before that lost a bunch of weight. I had weighed 300 pounds and got down to my goal weight uh, of uh, 185 pounds. And wow. that year before that in 2019, um, I had was feeling great and then got diagnosed with the spinal stenosis where I could hardly walk um, for about six months. And 
you know, saw the doctor and I'd been running, you know, eight to 10 miles a day. And he, I said, well, I can still, um, run. And he goes, no, not if you want to keep walking. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I said, oh, okay. He says, it, you know, it may not bother, but it could cause you to have more, you know, problems and things like that. He recommended I not do any more running. So I just started walking and hiking and spending much more time, you know, walking. And, and uh, so when I saw Jeff's presentation about the Camino, I had gotten a little bit better where I could actually walk and it didn't, it never really bothered me. Actually walking made it feel better. Um, so when Jeff talked about the Camino and I saw his videos of the country of Spain and all the great things going on, and I've never been out of the United States other than a, a couple weeks uh, that the United States army sent me to Germany for, you know, uh, some training, but um, never really got out of the United States uh, and never been to Europe, never been to Spain or France or anything like that. I studied five years of French in high school and never got a chance to go. So I said, that's what I want to do. I'm going to go walk the Camino. I I can walk now. I've lost all this weight. I want to walk across a country. That's something <laughs> yeah. I knew nobody who had, you know, walked that before Jeff and I'd never heard of it. I said, that's something I think I know I could do. And I want to challenge myself to do that. Uh, so I made this schedule and COVID put it back for a year. Uh, and then I finally got to go and I took the time off uh, and did that. But while I learned more about the Camino and the purpose uh, that a lot of people have, or that it's a religious pilgrimage. I'm not a religious person, quite the opposite. And I got to thinking, though, that, you know, walking 700, 800 kilometers, uh, that's a lot of walking. Uh, I'll be by myself a lot. I have a lot of things in my mind. I was at work and, uh, you know, I loved the company I worked with at the time. And but I wasn't happy. I wasn't being fulfilled in the job that I had. I really didn't want to be there anymore. Uh, the only thing keeping me there was the great company that I was with. Uh, you know, I'd been there a couple of years already that I didn't enjoy and what I did. So I went on the Camino um, to think about, okay, I've got to, if you go back and look at my resume, I mean, I've done just about everything uh, you can think of. I, you know, have many careers that I've gone through and I was ready for a new one. And so I said, well, I'll go on the Camino and I'll think about it. So I was walking the Camino, going through all this. And, you know, after 700 or so miles or kilometers, I still hadn't quite figured it out. You know, I, you know, I had the thinking. In there. So finally, I just put it up to the Camino and because the Camino provides, everybody says. And, you know, mm -hmm. I, I believe that now and everything uh, more so because of what's happened. But at that time, I'm there. I'm going, you know. I said, I, I don't know. I don't still don't know what I want to do or what I go, but should I, you know, I can figure that out, but should I stay at the company that I'm with? You know, I'm close to retirement. I wanted to work a few more years and, uh, you know, do that. Uh, but uh, I said, I, I just don't know. What do I do? You know, I'm going to leave it up to you. Give me some sort of sign that I need to move on and do something else or stay with the company or what. So I got back from the Camino in, you know, middle of September and, you know, things seemed all right. I still wasn't happy in my career. And, you know, but I said, okay, I'll just stay here for a couple more years and, you know, kind of work it out and, you know, just do the best I can and, you know, try to, uh, you know, survive and not get too bored. And I'll try to be a little bit more active in the company and try, maybe even try to move into a different role. 
Um, so I'm doing that. I'm starting to, you know, focus on my career. Got into January and having our February and our performance reviews they do every year, the annual thing that we do here with the performance reviews. And mm-hmm. I decided my, my manager says, okay, so what do you want to do this year? And I said, well, I, I'll, don't know yet, but uh, let's say I want to uh, go into, you know, learning and development, learning and development and be, because I've been doing a lot of training, created a lot of training materials that I'm going to go into learning and development and become our department's learning and development representative, you know, the person in charge of our entire department. That's what I, I will do this year. So that was what we put at the end of February for my performance and my goals for the rest of the year. That was the end of February. And in March, um, the as we say, sometimes the defecation hit the ventilation. Um, <laughs> That's a lovely way to put it. It's so polite. <laughs> thank you. Things started happening. I worked for a bank, one of the best banks in the world, First Republic Bank in San Francisco. And uh, all of a sudden, one of our competitor banks, uh, Silicon Valley Bank, all of a sudden had some problems and they did a run on the bank. All of their customers, some of their customers pulled out billions of dollars from their bank and they basically folded uh, and went out of business for a while uh, and got seized by the uh, FDIC, the Federal Depositors Insurance Corporation. First Republic, we went, oh my goodness, thank God we're not going to, we don't have those problems. Next thing you know, because of social media and the way things work, we had a very similar clientele, if not some of the same clientele, They because that person who the first person who pulled you know millions of dollars out of their bank posted on Twitter that oh we're having to pull our we're pulling our money out of this they called all of their um they were a venture capital firm called all of their clients and said pull your money out of SVB well when they mentioned that on Twitter people in San Francisco who use our bank we again catered to the same clientele pretty much they started pulling their money out of our bank again we had the highest rating of the net promoter score which may or may not be mm, uh, I do know what you yeah, yeah, well, have- I do. So maybe maybe listeners don't. I, I worked at an American company once and, and had to flip a net promoter score from minus numbers up into the yeah. pluses. So a good thing to be have been able to do. But just for those who don't know it, would you maybe explain what it is before you keep going? Okay, the net promoter score is where companies you'll probably see a lot of surveys after you've been visiting a client or a, you know somebody and you're one of their clients or a customer. They will send you a survey at, at, from a scale of one to ten, ten being the highest. How likely are you to recommend our company to a family member or a friend? That's the key question that everybody wants to know because if you're in the eight and above. Uh, that you are a promoter. If you're not, you are a detractor, uh, essentially. So they are anxious to get as many of the eights and above as they can. And the averages of all of the clients and all of the scores when you get there is your net promoter score. Uh, where do you fall on that scale? Are you in the 30s or something that which is not a good net promoter score necessarily? Um, but uh, you know, our bank, First Republic Bank, had an 80 net promoter score with our clients and 80, I think an 82 actually somewhere around there and even higher as the best bank where they had all of their accounts in our bank, as opposed to, you know, even other banks, the closest banking competitor to us had a 35. That gives you some sort of uh, example of where we were on that scale. However, 
because of the fear that people have with their money, which is you know justifiable, um, we had a, basically $100 billion in a week pulled out of our bank uh, from clients as well. And we, again, we um, ha- had the funds for many banks and you know being a small bank in the realm of you know number of branches that we had we had uh, we were like in the top 20 banks in the country uh, in size and uh, so when that happened we lost a lot of money you know what you know we had done nothing wrong we had nothing you know we were doing okay you know there's a net interest margin we don't get into too much of the financial stuff but essentially we were we knew we were you know having to cut corners and not spend a lot of money some which we've been through many times and survived uh, we were going to do the same thing but it's kind of hard to survive when they pull you know 100 billion in a week uh, you got to make that money up somewhere so you know that alarmed the Fed again, the FDIC. So they basically, after two months, uh, took us over uh, into receivership. And then um, JP Morgan Chase bought part of that um, under those terms. And, um, you know, I got laid off at the end of May. Uh, one day, a thousand or more of us got laid off and some are still with Chase or temporarily at least. So anyway, so what happened, you know, after that, I got laid off and I'm going, Oh, and I did get a decent severance. I've been there 12 and a half years, so that helped. But uh, I realized, okay, you know, I gave myself to the company for 12 and a half years. I, you know, had been running my business uh, on the side a little bit, not concentrating on it because one of my managers had said, well, you need to really quit focusing on your professional speaking career and your consulting because you you need to think about the bank, you know, and focus on working at the bank. We'll Mm -hmm. We'll take care of you. And uh, so here I am at the uh, end of May and I still didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up, but now I have the time to do that. And so I am now doing that. But my my thing on the Camino is I didn't know. So I kind of take that as my, the Camino answering my question. It uh, gave me the sign that I was looking for that I need to do my things for myself and concentrate on me and my career as myself uh, and, you know, make sure I take care of my mental health as well as everything else. So sadly, 7,000 other people had to lose their jobs that, (laughs) you know, the bank bank went out of business as far as first public bank, Uh, again, the greatest bank and the greatest company I ever worked for. Um, But, uh, you know, it answered my question. So now I'm focusing on my next chapter of my life, or as I refer to it as my next normal, um, you know, I've had many normals, many changes in life, and this is just the next one. And wow. so now I'll go from there. Wow. Wow. Thank you for sharing so much of your story and so many new parts of it that I didn't know. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you walk uh, across a country, as you say, with the person and you get to meet them and, and know yeah. and learn some parts. And maybe the, you didn't get the answer because the, it wasn't ready to come or maybe yes. all of us interrupted it a bit too much <laughs> when yes. we started meeting every evening yeah. uh, can I take you back to that so there's two things that I, I'm really interested in, in in your story particularly one is that significant journey of weight loss which is uh, commendable I, I've had a weight loss journey myself not the same as yours and and the army Um. Which one would you prefer I ask about first? <laughs> you should, and we'll go from there. All right. So was, was the Army first? 
were you younger when you were in the army? Yeah, I was. I was 21 years old. All right, um, let's go back then. And it was really the uh, the Army National Guard. So I really was a a weekend warrior at that time. It was peacetime during then. Okay. Uh, you know, at that time, many many years ago. Um, so I joined because. Uh, I had, um, again, no career path. I didn't know where I wanted to go to college or what I wanted to do. And uh, an Army recruiter, a National Guard recruiter came to my home with my grandparents where I was staying and said, oh, yes, you'll get the GI Bill. You can go to college and, uh, you know, things like that. And you can learn a trade, you know, in the National Guard as well uh, while you're in when you get out of basic and things like that. So I signed up for an electronics repair course. I was one of the top students uh, or top I had made the top grade of the people when you have to take this exam to get in. And so I got to choose what I wanted to do. Uh, so I chose electronics repair, uh, radio repair, and uh, went for that. And then when I was in that training, I was talked about going to college and getting the GI Bill. And I go, oh, the National Guard doesn't get the GI Bill. And cool. I'm going, what do you mean? <laughs> My recruiter said I get the GI Bill. Um, so, you know, and get to pay for college. They said, no, nope, National Guard doesn't get an only full-time army uh, or military people do. I go, well, ah. that stinks. Uh, and that's not the term I used. But uh, so anyway, I didn't get to go to college like I had wanted to. And uh, but I did spend, um, you know, the term is six years in the National Guard. And uh, I started going to officer candidate school because it was kind of boring otherwise. Uh, and then uh, as we were training for, you know, officer candidate school and going to some of the military bases for training, I was noticing that all of the um, uniforms and all of the vehicles were being painted this new desert camo colored from the old woodland. And I'm going, uh, why are we doing that? And uh, something's going on somewhere. You know, this is not just something you do for fun. Uh, so anyway, I had a feeling something was about to happen. So I actually resigned from the National Guard uh, after my six years and, you know, in the middle of the officer candidate school, because I did not want to do whatever I think they were planting, planning to do, because um, I had a feeling they were getting ready to go to war somewhere or do something. So I resigned. Were you right? I was right. That was right before uh, the original desert storm, uh, you know, shortly after that. And we went to Iraq and uh, Beirut and things like that uh, for Desert Storm. And then the rest has been Afghanistan and Iraq and everywhere else. So. so despite not maybe knowing necessarily what you wanted to do, you, you it sounds like you knew, you knew what you didn't want to do. And that right. was to, to go to war, to fight, uh, which is perfectly fine. Not, a, not something that is be. for everybody, you know. I, I did not know where it would be, but it was not something I had a desire Absolutely. to do. Absolutely, yeah. That was, that was before 9-11, you know, that was like 1990 mm-hmm. uh, or something. So. And so you had a miscommunication or a selected, selective maybe communication from the, the recruiting officer, which let, put you in a position that you didn't expect to be in and right. led you down a path that you didn't really want to go on. Uh, what did you learn about communication then in that experience? Well, one that uh, don't lie to people. Uh, you want to make sure you're clear in your communication. And, um, you know, it's part of, you know, sales that I learned, you know, you want to tell the truth and try to not scheme to people. And again, I blame my recruiter for that because, again, he did specifically tell me I would get the GI Bill and I know he knew better than mm-hmm. that. But uh, it, it 
really taught me that you really have to communicate completely and honestly with people, uh, make sure. And also as a getting spoken to, I have to ask more questions. You know, if I'm going, going to, um, you know, be in a situation, it's important for me to ask the questions that I need to ask and be aware of what needs to be asked, even, you know, uh, not let your emotions or um, things judge or give you, you know, hesitancy to, you know, do that, to do that, um, to not ask the questions, you know, to just accept everything at face value sometimes. So I, th- right. I think it made me learn that I need to ask more questions in everything I do in life, uh, you know, and when I get to know and being honest, uh, I'm probably more honest than I should be at times, but, uh, you know, I believe in honesty and, you know, so, um, and you're never too honest. So uh, I shouldn't say too honest at times, but um, it's... I don't know. I've I've had I had a boss. I remember saying to me once um, that I I could be a little less naive, and it was because of my honesty. And I think I, I truthfully have learned, and I, I I value honesty just as much as you do, absolutely. I, I, but I think there's a difference between honesty and revealing everything. Yeah, that's true. What would you say to that? No, I would agree. There there are times where again you. And again, honesty is always the best policy, but there are times when you don't need to reveal everything, especially about you and yourself and what you want to do. Um, because again, it's not, it, uh, people can take advantage of that at times uh, if you reveal too much. Um, and it also, um, you know, you can reveal things that could be harmful to somebody and their emotions uh, that really it doesn't, it's not worth saying anything about at that particular point in time. So, you know, again, it's not like a white lie kind of thing is what a lot of people have termed it in America, you know, where you didn't tell somebody something, but, uh, you know, if it's going to not matter in five years, you know, there's no point in doing it or saying it. So um, it's not going to hurt anybody. It's, but, you know, so yeah, sometimes revealing too much, um, you know, in relationships, sometimes, you know, can be painful, Um, but yeah, I, I think that can be, it's a tricky situation, but again, I, again, I agree with you. Sometimes you can't be too honest. Um, and I think that's what I mean when I say, you know, sometimes I'm too honest because I'll say something that, well, well, did it really matter if I told them that or not? You know, am I doing it for the wrong reasons that I'm telling them that? So, right. Yeah, yeah. So lots, lots to chew on there, thinking about when to reveal, when not to. Uh, yeah, white lies. We call it being economical with the truth in Ireland. Uh, so then you went on a journey. You, you were 21 when you went into the National Guard and you were with them for six years. So you're hitting your mid-20s. What, what happened then after that? Um, again, I still, you know, didn't go to college. One of the things that I, again, listening to people um, when I was growing up, my family had my grandparents and everybody told me, oh, you're not college material. And uh, I'm going, well, not college material. So I didn't even bother trying to go to college. You know, I graduated in the top 25% of my high school class, but my um, parents and my grandparents said, oh, you're not college material. Well, that's Okay, I guess I'm not, but I didn't know what that was. And nobody told me that I could work my way through college 
because uh, I always thought you had to pay the whole thing up front to be able to go to college. And, you know, what I eventually realized and was that my parents and grandparents being, um, you know, not wealthy and not having a lot of money and not, nobody in my family going to college uh, at the time, they didn't know. Uh, they assumed that they, I think they believed the same thing. You could, my not being college material was I didn't have the money for them or them. They didn't have the money to send me to college and go to college. So I just started working as soon as I got out of high school, joined the National Guard. And again, I heard something about them paying for college. So I thought that was the way to go. But uh, I, I mean, I, at that point, I could have probably joined the nat- regular army. Uh, but again, I, not something that was in my plan at the time. So. Mm-hmm. And so if if you don't mind me asking about it, what then brought you to a place where you needed to, to go on the weight loss journey? Well, I had, had started, you know, as most a lot of young people eating badly and junk food and things like that, not eating healthy as you get when you're, um, again, the family that I was in, a Southern family, we ate a lot of carbs and a lot of uh fattening type foods. And a lot of it was pre-made kind of things. And uh, the things in the grocery store aisles, you really shouldn't shop in, you know, the canned foods and the stuff like that. But uh, anyway, I ate badly, but even worse, what happened after I got a little bit smarter and um, things that I wanted to do, I became a consultant. I got into IT, my career, actually, I went not to college, but I worked myself into a position where uh, in IT, that electronics training that I had taken uh, benefited me and I learned electronics and then computers came out. Uh, I was working in a warehouse for a a company and that sold computers. So I started learning how to put the computers together, how to load software on them, how to do the wiring of the networks in the office. And basically, instead of working in the warehouse, I ended up doing all the other stuff and then ended up with both jobs, but eventually worked my way into a software uh, firm or the software part of the company, learning the software and training that and started consulting on that software and became more and more uh, into that. And uh, I'm also a martial artist uh, in doing that in there, but I, I'm throwing more stuff out here, but uh, the, throw it all. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to listen. <laughs> when I, when I became a consultant, I would do a lot of traveling and in traveling, I was working again, working long hours. I eventually became the chief information officer for two mortgage companies. But as I was traveling, I uh, started my own consulting firm as well. And one of my clients became, uh, I went to work for them running their IT department, but I was doing a lot of traveling and, you know, I eat a lot. I'm a stress eater for one, but I would eat a lot and I'm traveling, you know, I'd go to big breakfasts with people and eat lunch with people that you're working with. And then at the end of the day, I would oftentimes work till 7, 30, 8 o'clock at night and then go to the uh, back to the hotel and then go to the to dinner somewhere at one of the restaurants and eating a lot of food and then or ordering uh, a pizza in to the hotel room and uh, eating an entire large pizza, uh, you know, and then going to bed. And then, you know, getting up in the morning, doing the same thing and then traveling. So during all that time, I ended up putting on a lot of weight, no exercise during all of this time and just eating a lot, traveling a lot, spending, you know, a lot of time awake and uh, gained 300 pounds. So as a size, I can't remember, 4X uh, at the time and, um, you know, just was really very bad uh, at that point. And then tried to lose it, but never could lose that weight. But that's how I got the weight on is uh, eating very well, 
Um, you know, I was looking after I started look, losing the weight and trying to focus on, you know, weight loss, I started looking at the calories and I moved to California and um, they have the calories on all the food. And one of the places I used to eat at is a restaurant here called uh, the Cheesecake Factory. Oh, um, yeah, I've been there. <laughs> and, uh, uh, they had one in the town that I, you know, worked in um, when I traveled. And I spent a lot of time there and I looked at the calories on the one in California that required uh, calories on there and went through the meal that I would typically eat for dinner at Cheesecake Factory after work. As, as I counted the calories at my meal for dinner, the calories counted up to 10,000 calories by the time I had everything for my meal. That's one meal and then go back to the hotel room and go to bed. Um, 10,000 calories. So I started eating much better and uh, decided I was going to lose weight. And again, I teach uh, goal setting and goal achievement and never really put my own stuff to work um, until I came to California and started my podcast and uh, that I do. And then I did then and uh, started trying to follow my own information that I have a book out, Nine Steps to Successful Goal Achievement, and that I was, had written, uh, finally got it published into it 20,000, or excuse me, 2018, and but realized I need to follow my own advice and, uh, you know, set my goal and do that. So I set my goal and um, ended up losing down to 185 pounds in less than a year. I put my goal to be by the end of the year, December 31st. Um, and um, that was, uh, I was, I think, 60 years old that year and um, decided that. Uh, sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt you. You were 60 years old that year. Yeah. So you're mid 60s now? I am in 65. Jesus, you're fantastic, man. Sorry to interrupt you. I'm sorry. Um, so anyway, I. Uh, followed my own advice and uh, lost, did what I needed to do to lose that weight, which was a lot of exercise and eating properly, eating healthy and mostly eating correctly and uh, got down to 185 by the end of September. So I was very pleased with that. So. And all uh, because of one, your, your method, your nine steps to, to achieving your goals, which is in that book. And we'll put a link for that book if you want into our show notes setting your goal, sticking to the objective of the goal and tracking it and no no surgery or anything like that, all diet change, exercise, yep. mindset. Mindset, yeah. No, no surgery at all, nothing, so. What made you want to do it? Uh, well, when I start, one of the things I teach in my program is you got to have your why, you know, you want to know what that why is, that purpose that makes you want to do something. And the purpose of my goal, you know, one would think, you know, uh, by that time I was also, I got divorced and was single and you would think that, oh, I just want to be out there, you know, want to look good for the ladies and uh, things like that. But that really wasn't it. Part of being uh, overweight and getting to 300 pounds is I became a type two diabetic and I uh, was on insulin and several other different drugs and stuff to combat that. And uh, I was spending 300 or something a month after insurance, um, still spending $300 a month on all of this medicine to keep my blood sugar under control. And I figured, you know, I could use that $300 for something else. 
uh, instead of that, I'd want to, I wanted to start traveling and going to different places uh, that I've never been. And I figured I would uh, be able to save $300 a month if I could get my A1C down to a certain level and get off all that medicine. So that was why I decided I wanted to do it. That was my why. That was my uh, my North star that I had that I needed to be able to get to theirs to do that. Um, so, you know, I got my A1C down as low as I wanted it to and was off medicine for a while and, um, did very well. Uh, so because of it, so. Really. I like to take a pause to let people rest with that kind of information and if there was somebody listening now who maybe is in their their mid 50s late 50s because that's a big thing to do it's one thing doing that when you're young I was in my early 20s it's another thing to take that at that stage of life and I'm not saying you're in the old stage of life or anything right but it's brave it's it's difficult there's a huge amount mentally for you to to go through to experience and it's an incredible thing to achieve. But yes, I- to start it for so many people is very, very hard. And then, of course, to continue it. What would you say to somebody who might be listening thinking, oh, I'd love to be able to do that, but there's no way I would ever achieve it? First, again, you got to find a reason why that you want to do it. I mean, just because you say you want to do it, you really have to have a reason to do that. You have to make your mind up that you need to do that and then make that decision. And then I have that part of my nine step plan is you have to make that commitment. It doesn't mean I didn't start running 10 miles a day. uh, When I did that, I got up in the morning, got my clothes on and went outside. And some days I made it to the gym. Other days I just walked to the car and then walked back. Uh, You know, Uh, the point is you get started, you know, you do a little bit every day. I'd walk, you know, down around the corner, around the street or whatever, small, I'll walk a block or two and, um, you know, do that. And I was really, really enjoying walking and I found out I really like this, you know? So I started doing that's when I started hiking. I started uh, going when I was in California, we have these great Hills that you can walk over and I'd see a Hill and I go, I want to walk over that Hill or up that Hill, uh, and stuff. So then I would start doing that. And, uh, that's it, one of my, uh, symbols on my, podcast is a a hill with a tree at the top of it. And that was always my goal is I want to get up to where I can touch that tree. And then that means I made it up that mountain and then I'll just come back down. Um, So, and it's not a big mountain now. It's not like uh, Osobrero or (laughs) first day on the, on the, you know, up from St. John. Um, These are little tiny hills that uh, nowadays are, you know, like hardly break a sweat, you know, but (laughs) Uh, but it's it was doing a little bit at a time, you know, and a lot of times I love the beach and I love water and I love the mountains. So I kind of we have blessing here in, you know, north uh, northern California. Uh, I started hiking on areas where I could go to the beach, start my beach with a little uh, start my walk with a little meditation on the beach, turn around and walk up a mountain. Uh, you know, and so that got me interested in that because I was really enjoying that just being out in nature uh, in the two areas that I love, the beach and the uh, the ocean and um, the uh, mountains. So I found things that I enjoyed doing and uh, not just made it a chore. And I went to the gym a lot, you know, because when the weather wasn't, it was either too hot or whatever, or right after work or something. But every chance I got, I did, went out where I enjoyed being and enjoyed the the scenery or whatever. So uh, found things that I liked to do that, uh, you know, again, wasn't 
killing myself, but I was, you know, walking, you have to walk anyway. And then, uh, so that's one of the reasons why the Camino was, a, I can, yeah, I can walk, that's for sure. You know, and uh, I was doing 10, 15 mile walks on the weekend, um, you know, listen to podcasts and stuff as I was walking and it was a great thing to do. So that's how I got started. And that's what got me doing is just walking. And, and you're not I, stopping. I'm not stopping. And then I got to where I was actually, let me try running because I hadn't run in since I was early 20s. And uh, and then I always thought, well, I can't run very far. didn't run very, but I was running five miles back then. So I wonder if I could do that again. So I started running. I'd run 100 yards, stop, walk a little bit, run 100 yards, you know, and just keep going. And finally, I worked myself up to five miles and then eight miles. And then finally, 10 miles at a time of running. And I'm going, wow, I'd never done that before. Uh, and then, of course, then my legs went out with the spinal stenosis. And I'm going, what the heck happened? Uh, and uh, so, but I can always walk. Walking gives me uh, no problem at all. And um, so, again, I did the Camino and I'm going back again next month. So, you never give up. Yeah. That, that, that resilience, that's what I hear coming through is, yeah. is resilience. Resilience. You know, my daughter, uh, she walked the first five stages of the Camino with me last year. Uh, uh -huh. She's speaking of resilience. She's a story in herself. Um, but uh, she says to me, you know, when I lost my job, so that's all right, Dad. I'm not worried about you. You're the most resilient person I know. You always uh, reinvent yourself or do something if you need to. So, um, wow, really, really incredible. What a story. And a story I didn't expect to hear. I mean, I didn't know what I was going to hear, really. But uh, I really appreciate you sharing this. Um, so you're not stopping. We'll get on to that now in a minute. But I know you mentioned when you send in your information about coming on the podcast that you'd like to speak about these, uh, the particular style of goal setting, the OKR goals. Uh, is that what you talk about in your book? I just you extended it. Well, it's extended from my book. My, my book is actually taking, you know, the, I always had a problem setting goals. Some days I just could not figure out why I set goals, but I'm not achieving what I set. And uh, what I also did, part of the reason I wrote my book is I went to, I was in martial arts. I'm a fifth degree black belt in uh, Bujinkan Ninpo Taijutsu, which is the art of the ninja, to be honest. Um, but um, oh, you know, you're a dark horse. You're a dark, dark horse. <laughs> but uh, I, you know, I studied ninjutsu and martial arts and some of the things that we did with the mental being able to sense danger and things like that. I always wondered about the mind and we did some things that were just amazing. Another story for another time. But I could tell you uh, that um, made me go, oh, wow, the mind can do some really weird things, weird and good in the, the sense you know, if you would like to share that story and you have time, you're more than welcome to. Well, I have time to hear it. <laughs> I don't mind. I'd love to hear it. Yeah, yeah. please do. Well, the story is one of the trainings that we did is, you know, we went to a seminar on, um, you know, meditation and not really meditation, but again, some of this training that the ninja uh, had where you work with the mind and things like that. But we met one with our instructor in a town in Ohio and people from all over the country and some people from even out of the country came for this seminar. It was a two-day seminar and uh, I never met most of these people. You know, there are some that I knew, but the instructor uh, said, what I want you to do is get with somebody that you do not know, you've never met before. And I want you to, you know, sit down and everybody sit down and you're going to sit across from one 
another. And then what I want you to do is start, you know, breathing and, you know, closing your eyes and get into your place that makes you comfortable. Again, your place in your mind that you feel the strongest and the most comfortable. And then once you do that, then I want you to come back out and I want you to, uh, uh, the one person start thinking about three people, one person at a time, but I want you to think about somebody that you know, this person, and you think that, and start imagining them, visualizing them in your head and, you know, and picturing them and just, just think about them as you do this, you know, everything about that person. And then the other person, what you're going to do is while they're thinking of this person, you go into your place and you start just kind of feeling or thinking, seeing, trying to see what this person is seeing, what they're thinking about and who they're thinking about and do that for a period of time. And then while you're, as you're seeing this particular person, I want you to think about, uh, you know, describing them so that you want to, what you're going to do is once you get finished with this, you're going to see these three people, then you're going to come back and, you know, then describe each one of those persons to this person that you've never met that they've been talking. So the guy sat across me because I'd never met him before today, that day. And um, so I, Finish. we get, and I said, well, the first person I saw was a woman and I've described her basically. She's got, I I can do it from here today still. And this was, you know, many, many years ago and I can still picture her, but uh, I said, she's, uh, you know, brunette. She's about, you know, five something, not not too tall. Uh, I said, she's not overweight, but she's kind of big boned. If you want to call it that she's got, um, you know, nice figure, but again, it's more of a bigger bone, not a skinny person, but she's not overweight. She's just big, uh, bigger and, but her hair is brown. She wears it this way. And I described how she looked, described her face and her lips and things like this and other, a bunch of other stuff. And he goes, okay. And uh, so then he goes, I said, the second person I saw was this guy. He had, uh, you know, a kind of a brownish colored hair as well, but he had a face that, uh, you know, he had, like a ruddy complexion is how I described it to this guy. He goes, what do you mean by ruddy? I said, well, to me, it's like uh, acne scars, you know, pock marks, you know, kind of, you know, looks kind of ruddy. That To me, that ruddy was the closest I could describe that. But, you know, without saying you've got acne scars and things like that. Um, and, uh, and I went on to describe his physicality. I said, but there's, you know, I feel like he and that other woman I just talked about, they have something that they're, they're not talking to each other. They have some sort of stress between the two of them. I don't know what it is, um, but they're, they're not happy with one another or, you know, there's something there. And then I went on to describe, I don't remember the third person, but I described the third person uh, as well. And then what he told me afterwards, when I finished, he goes, the person you described is my wife and you described her to a T. She looked exactly like what you said. And I've never seen her, still haven't seen her to this day. Um, but she he said, she is my wife, uh, that you just described. And I, cause I also went into personnel and I think she was a real estate agent or something like that. that I talked about, uh, because of her, her personality was, I've described that as well. Uh, and then the other guy, she goes, he goes, that's his exact uh, image of my brother-in-law, uh, my wife's brother. And, um, you know, he has, and the reason I asked about the readiness, cause he has acne scars, um, you know, and that's exactly what his face is. And, uh, and he and his sister, my wife are not talking with one another right now. They 
he did something and made her very angry. And right now they're not speaking to him. I've ne- never met either one of those. Don't know this guy from Adam. And uh, the other person I described, he said that that's them as well. And he did the same thing with me um, when I did mine, which I don't remember who I even mentioned at that time. But uh, I remember specifically, I said I could probably, if his wife from that time walked up, I could have picked her out of a lineup very easily. And I'd never seen her before. So my thing was that this is really weird and in a good way that the mind can do that uh, if you let it. And part of the danger thing that we test the training that we did is, you know, we'd have people sneak up behind us. And a lot of times, you know, people, if you're not paying attention, your body will tell you when you're in danger, Mm -hmm. listen to it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, many of us don't, but we practiced that where, you know, we could sense somebody coming up with evil intentions and we would do that. And the the fifth degree black belt test uh, that I took is part of that where the uh, grandmaster comes above you and uh, you turn around, face the other way, close your eyes. And at some point in time, he raises a book, not a bokken anymore, but a, a Shania bamboo sword now and uh, comes down and tries to hit you in the head and you have to not be there uh, when he does that. And that's the fifth degree black belt training that I went through. Um, So I learned that the mind could do interesting things. So long story to get to, I decided to go find out more about how the mind and the subconscious work. So I studied hypnosis and hypnotherapy and I became a hypnotherapist and learned some techniques to get into uh, the subconscious mind because our subconscious mind controls a lot and makes things up. You have uh, these knowns that are put into at an early age that might later turn out to be negative, limiting beliefs and things like that. You're not college material. Yeah, like you're not college material, for instance. instance. And once I learned about that, I started putting those, uh, using some of those techniques that I learned in hypnotherapy to work and then took that into my goal setting program. And I said, I need to write a book about this and talk about how to overcome those using some of the techniques that I learned um, that can be done without being hypnotized. Um, Because, you know, a lot of times we're hypnotized accidentally um, and, uh, you know, on a daily basis, especially these days with uh, these things Mm -hmm. here. But, um, you know, so that is part of my book is not just, you know, what I teach in there are nine steps and the steps that I teach are based on, using techniques to overcome the uh, critical mind filter within our brain and, um, you know, get some of those negative now, now negative when we're trying to um, do something, um, those knowns out with positive knowns. Based on what you learned through martial arts and your, your hypnotherapy work and other work that you did. Yes. Oh, it sounds like a powerful book. It really does. And, and a very powerful process. And like, what I've, if I can say it and you don't mind really respect you for is how you've lived all of what you're talking about. It's not just somebody who purports to understand and know these things and puts them in a book and sells it. You've actually lived it. It's all through lived experience. Well, I I know we're we're hitting on on, uh, a bit longer than I sort of said at the beginning, but I do have a question if you don't mind, if we circle back just a a little bit before we, we come to a close. Do you think you needed to go to college? Absolutely not. I mean, I've had a very successful career um, without going to college. I've been, to, I've taken some college courses, you know, auditing classes and the extension university type stuff. But 
I did not need college to be successful. I've been very successful um, in many ways uh, in life. I had a good career. I had a great career at the bank uh, that I got laid off from, loved it, and uh, became the chief information officer for two mortgage companies, um, you know, running their IT department from startup to multi-billion dollar organizations nationwide. Uh, all without a college degree. So it's not required. Uh, and, you know, it's all about the mindset. And again, it's about communication. It's being able to learn to communicate with yourself and your own mind and overcome those negative um, limiting beliefs that you may have out there and communicating how to communicate to your brain and to your mind, um, you know, different ways so that you can do that. But the, there are areas I think having a college degree would be have been beneficial. I might have been more successful uh, earlier uh, had I done that, um, you know, instead of taking as long as it did to get to where I got. But uh, I don't know. And Steve Jobs never graduated from college either. So, uh, you know, he went a little bit and was, you know, dropped out of college and started, you know, Apple. So uh, same thing, I think, with Bill Gates, you know, he didn't. Need Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg. Yeah. You know, it's college gives you, in my opinion, great networking if you take advantage of it uh, that you can, you know, do. And there are some things that you skills that you can learn in there that you would not get early, you know, by uh, trying to figure it out yourself sometimes. So, but again, nowadays, again, nothing against going to college. I think it's a wonderful thing. If you aspire to that, do that. But you can take college courses online for free at MIT, at uh, Stanford, at all these organizations uh, in MOOCs. I think I forgot the full term there, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's college education on the internet and uh, you can learn this. The thing you can't learn is the communications, being able to communicate with yourself sometimes and the networking, you have to learn how to network. But again, you don't have to do that. You can go out and build your own networks. I've got friends that are multimillionaires and, you know, things as well. And, you know, we uh, do pretty well. So um, it's just a matter of, um, you know, believing in yourself. And again, having that communication where you can talk to yourself and not listening to the communication that your brain sometimes gives you because it'll tell you lies. <laughs> You're speaking my language. The four pillars that I work under with my clients are, are pillars of awareness. And the first is self. Yeah. When we communicate with ourselves, honestly, that's the beginning of everything. Yeah. Self-awareness, brain awareness. And then for me with, with clients, linguistic awareness and cultural awareness. Yeah, that's it's a spiral. Oh wow, wow, ah, oh, what a conversation, Tony. Uh, I I was humbled to know you already, wow. and now <laughs> I am fascinated <laughs> to know more. Thank you Thanks. so much for sharing all that you shared today. I, uh, I, I like doing that. You know, I say I've had many careers because I. I I work at things until I say, I'm not really enjoying this anymore. I need to learn something new and do something else. Yeah, I, I see why we connected. 38 jobs by the time I was 38 years old in uh, 23 companies on five continents. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> I, I haven't done different is go to different continents. That's why I'm going back to Spain and Portugal this year and yeah. next month. That's right. So you're off on your next Camino, Camino yeah. uh, Portuguese first. Yeah, doing the Portuguese, then uh, doing the Del Norte uh, is the plan currently. Mm-hmm. So, and then there may be others. I was talking with Leah. There's a couple others in between that uh, we may do some smaller ones 
uh, along the way before she has to go back to work. She doesn't have as much time as I do. So, Fantastic. Well, uh, you know, I'd love to say to you, you should do it live. <laughs> get, get on that phone. But then you see it takes away, doesn't it? it, it the, the idea is lovely to think that you would document the Camino and maybe do live things and bring people on a journey with you. But it's something different, isn't it? Because it is. then it's not for you. It's not for me, but there may be a chance of that. You know, that's part of my going on this Camino. I will be doing a lot more video and a lot more photos. I'm actually planning on potentially a friend of mine when I did a presentation for our club that I'm in, uh, the same club that I talked about earlier uh, that I'm now the president of. Uh, I talked about the Camino and our, you know, the great family, you and everybody else that I met and some other things that I can send you the link to if you haven't already seen it. But, um, you know, one of the speakers that are persons at our club is a professional speaker and she's got three or four books that she's written and she goes, you need to write a book. And uh, so I'm actually meeting with her at five o'clock today to talk about writing a book about my Camino journey, especially after this trip. Uh, So that may happen as well. But, you know, I had another friend on the Camino that she went back and she did training for people. And she's thinking about taking people from she's in Taiwan, from Taiwan to the Camino and helping them experience the Camino. So, you know, I think we have a lot of again, the Camino provides a lot of different opportunities. uh, Your mind does as well if you listen to it. uh, And sometimes, again, it's all about communication. (laughs) It is. it, It absolutely is. Yeah, you have sure. to listen as well as talk sometimes, and uh, and think when the world tells you things. Yeah, yeah, You're bringing up the alchemist in my mind now. Pay attention to the omens. I have actually started my Camino book. Started writing it about a month ago because uh, my journey on the Camino was, of course, a healing journey, which I think you're a part of. And I did document it. I've about 250 videos, short videos that I took on it. But I haven't. Yeah, uh, some of them I've put up, but I haven't been able to be consistent yet. But the the Camino provides Paso a Paso. Before we go, again, thank you. From the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for sharing so much of yourself and your stories and your incredible journey. It it has been phenomenal to listen to. Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to let you knock that back at me and say no if that's all right with you, because it is phenomenal what you have achieved. Uh, And I am an advocate of being able to take it and say, you know what, actually, yeah, I'm a guy, I'm a man, but I have achieved a hell of a lot. And fair play to you for doing that and for for pushing through it. I really do mean it. It's an honour to know you. How can people find you? How can they work with you if they want to work with you? Can they work with you or are you? I do. Um, my company is called Motivated Action Group. I'm rolling that back out again now that I'm unemployed. I'm now self-employed. And uh, I am uh, motivatedactiongroup.com. You can go to the website there. And I have more information. I'm doing independent corporate consulting. I'll be working on goal setting and achievement and uh, objectives and key results or OKR, uh, bringing those for people personally, coaching personal, uh, you know, uh, individuals, executives, uh, or and or you know corporations on how to implement objectives and key results for their organization uh, to bring their company's objectives and goals uh, to the organization and get aligned so that they everybody's working on the same page. 
Uh, and then I, like I said, I also do my consulting there. Uh, and my, I have a YouTube channel where I post a lot of different um, videos from speakers. I'm the president of the Golden Gate Breakfast Club uh, currently, and we have speakers that I help organize and get here professional speakers from all over the world. Uh, we have members from the, we're actually now, thanks to COVID, uh, international club. We were just based out of San Francisco, but we have members in the UK and London uh, and in Turks and Caicos and all over the United States that meet yeah. with us on Wednesday mornings, but we have speakers from all over the world come in and talk on Wednesday mornings from 8 to 8.30 and about various business and other topics. So uh, that's out there, the Motivated Action Group on YouTube. If you search Motivated Action Group, you'll be able to see that as well. Fantastic. All right. I have, well, a, we'll... I have a few other projects that I work on too, but right now that if you want to work with me, I'd love to work with people and help them and organizations uh, you know, achieve their goals. So solely organizations, but if I were an individual and I heard you speak today and was inspired and maybe wanted to do a bit of goal setting and, and accountability with you, can I get you through that, that website Absolutely. as well? Yeah, I, I do coaching, you know, I said personal executive coaching as well. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Okay, well, we'll put your links into the show notes as well. So if anyone is listening and you do want to get in touch with Tony, even just to commend him for his incredible journey or, or ask a question, click and on my the email links is- in the show notes. My email is Tony at TonyWoodall.com or Tony at MotivatedActionGroup.com, either one of those. Perfect. Yeah, we can stick them in the notes as well so people can just very easily click through and find you. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. I've enjoyed it and good to see you again as always. Likewise. Yeah. So listeners, this has been the incredible Tony Woodall with so many stories to have learned from, been inspired by. Uh, I hope you've taken something away from today. I know that I have. And I am very honoured to have had you on the podcast. If you have taken something away from today or you've heard something that you believe someone else could learn from, uh, please do share the podcast. Please do like and subscribe. If you review it, it is very, very beneficial to me. Until next time, thanks for listening. Banak tea. Abbas